Welcome to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Thanks for listening. Our desire is to help you advance in your faith journey no matter where you are. For more information on our church, please check out cthope.com. Welcome to week three of Be Rich at Hope Church. We hope you're having a great weekend, and thanks for tuning in this morning. If this is your first time, my name is Dan. I'm the teaching pastor here at Hope, and uh, we are talking all about being generous. We have been putting a concentrated effort on being generous this month, and hopefully beyond this month, through really a lot of different practical ways. Uh, In the last few weeks, we've talked about giving generously, which seems to be sort of the no-brainer when you think generosity, you think giving money or giving a resource. But we also talked about serving generously. This past week, some of you uh, hopped in on board. You took an advantage. Some of you are doing it actually right now as we have our services, as there were some service opportunities this morning, just to serve generously, to use what you have to bless other people. And today, we're going to continue into our talk about being rich. Uh, As you know, the key verse for us that this whole idea is based off of of how we be rich, uh, you can find in 1 Timothy 6.18, when Paul commands Timothy, a young pastor in training, to do this. He says, command them, talking about anyone who has much in their life, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. It's important for the church to be generous in all facets of life. And so as a church, this is our goal. As I said, we want this to go beyond even be rich, which ends next Sunday. We have our celebration. We want it to go beyond that. We want to be a generous church. Now, uh, this conversation happens at least once or twice a week, it seems, in my household. I have four young kids, and inevitably there is always a point in the week when someone is going to complain that somebody else in the family was given more than them. This starts, you know, sometimes at the breakfast table. Why did they get more Lucky Charms than I did? Well, hey, first off, I understand because Lucky Charms are amazing. But you complain, they start to compare their bowls. Why did they get more unicorn marshmallows than I? And, and there's this comparison argument that goes on or maybe it's later in the day over candy or somebody got to play a game longer than the other. And sadly, as much as we see and we expect this from kids, it goes beyond kids. This goes into our teenage years, and our adult lives, when we begin to compare what we have with what somebody else has been given, and we begin to complain because we feel we were ripped off. We feel that we deserved more or that there's some favoritism given to the other person that we rightfully deserve. And again, you know this. You you know this in the workplace that people will complain about such and such getting a promotion in the job when you understand how incompetent they are in comparison to who I am and what. You know how long I have worked here? I think I'm worth a bonus or a raise here, and yet you're giving it to this person that's only been here for a year This comparison game still goes on, even in our adult life. Why does such and such get to spend as much time with you 
uh, compared to me? Why do they get more time with you? Why are you uh, quicker to drop what you're doing and go hang out with them or go to a movie with them or go out to eat with them? And it's like trying to get in touch with a, a celebrity when I try to do that. We still play the comparison game even as adults. And yet, I would say this, and what we will see this morning, we need to understand that our uh, what we're viewing uh, that makes us more or less important than the other person, we're looking at the wrong thing. We're looking at the wrong thing. Have you ever felt this way? Have you, have you ever struggled with feeling like somehow you've been ripped off compared to other people, that others are the favorites and you're never the favorite? Have you ever battled that? Have you ever struggled with envy? Have you ever been envious of somebody else? and what they've been given in light of you. But I also want to ask you this. Have you ever been angry at God for doing that? Have you ever been angry at God that another person, maybe someone you don't care for, seems to be given more blessing in their life and more experience and, and, and more, you name it. They're given all of this and you have nothing or next to nothing in comparison to them. And so you get angry at God. God, um, I know you got that whole all-knowing thing going on, but I think you made a mistake here. Let me fill you in on the real story about what they're like. Why did you bless them and not me? Or, you know, we come with our resume to God and say, hey, God, look at my resume. You know who I am? Yeah, and you did that to them. And we can sometimes be angry at God for how he has blessed other people and not ourselves. You could draw the conclusion that any time we compare ourselves to somebody else and we complain about what they've been given or how they've been blessed in comparison to us, you are angry at God. You are angry at God. And maybe that's a truth this morning some of us need to own up to, <laughs> that we're angry at him. Jesus talked about this in one of his many parables that he taught in the Bible. Uh, if you're, maybe this is your first week joining us, a parable is a story that Jesus would teach, and it was more than just one of these moral tales that we're supposed to get this great morality uh, lesson out of. They taught something deeper. They taught something spiritual about the heavenly kingdom or about God himself. And that's what we're going to see in the parable we look at today. Jesus tells this parable in Matthew chapter 20. You'll be able to follow along on the screen, and, and I encourage you to read this on your own. But Matthew chapter 20, starting at verse 1, Jesus tells this story. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. It's saying this, okay, business owner, he goes out, he needs some help, and so he finds some people, he uh, approaches them and says, hey, I need help in my vineyard, would you work for me? What's interesting, and, and don't miss this, is that these people he approaches that are just hanging out in town, they don't have anything else to do, uh, they say, okay, we'll work for you. Let's work out a contract. Let's come up with an agreement between you and us that we're going to get a certain amount of pay for doing all this work. And so the landowner says, okay, fine, we'll work it out. 
I agree to give you a denarius, which was equivalent really today to almost a penny. But back then it was a day's wages. That's fair. Okay, we're going to get a day's wages for a day of work. Totally cool with that. Let's go. And so they go with the landowner and they begin to work in his vineyard. But then something crazy happens. In verse 3, it says, about nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. They're hanging out at the 7-Eleven. They're just, yeah, whatever. They're bored to tears, doing nothing, and he approaches them. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and catch this, and I will pay you whatever is right. There's a difference with the first group and now the second group, and we're going to see the other groups. The first group, they had to have a contract. They, they had to make sure they were going to get what they were worth. But now this next group, the landowner says, hey, you know what? I'm going to pay you what I think's right. And what happens? The nine o'clock workers say, okay, we'll go. And they trusted the landowner, and they went off, and they started to work in his vineyard. This goes on again. If you continue in the next few verses, it's at noon and three o'clock and 5 p.m. The landowner does the same thing. He goes to the marketplace. He's a bunch of people hanging out, have nothing better to do. Say, hey, I need some help. I'm going to pay you what's right. Come with me. They say, okay, we trust you. Let's go. All the way up to 5 p.m., almost the end of the work day. This man has now recruited all these workers in his vineyard. And then the climax of the story. The, the, the tension happens in verse 8. It says this, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. That was very intentional that the landowner wanted the ones that were hired at five o'clock to be paid first rather than the ones that started probably 6 a.m., because it seems everything's in three-hour increments with this story. You'll see why. Because in verse 9, it goes on. It says, the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. Ooh. That's what the 6 a.m. workers were supposed to be getting paid. The 5 p.m. workers are getting the same amount as the 6 a.m. workers. So when those who came, who were hired first, they expected to receive more. They, they're there going, whoa, I guess he found a little bit extra money because he's paying the people he just brought on the same amount we were supposed to get. We had agreed in that contract. Obviously, he's a good person and he sees how hard we've worked and how many hours we worked. So we're obviously going to get more. Yes, this is awesome. I'm going to be able to get that new chariot or that new horse, whatever it was back then. They're all excited and they come up. It says, but each one of them also received a, den a denarius. They're handed their check and they're like, excuse me, what? When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. I've never heard that before, anyone complaining about their check. See, some things don't really change with time. Verse 12, these who were, uh, these who were hired last worked only one hour, they're saying. They're storming their fists down on the table and upset. And they said uh, all of that. And, and then he goes on and he says, and you have made them equal to us 
who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. We worked before sunrise. We worked through the heat of the morning, the heat of the noonday sun, the heat in the afternoon. The sun went down. I spent this whole day here, and you're paying them the exact same amount as us. That isn't right. That's cold. That's cold. That is not at all right. In other words, the morning workers were getting about a tenth of a cent per hour pay, whereas it appears that the 5 p.m. workers were getting about one penny an hour pay, which was a pretty sweet deal. Verse 13 goes on and says, but he answered one of them. I'm not being unfair to you, friend. I don't know. Maybe the other stormed off, and that's why it points out that he talked to one of them. I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? You, we had an agreement. We had a contract here. Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Catch this, verse 15. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. That's a phrase that a lot of us have heard or maybe even used. You may not have noticed from this, this uh, parable. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Are you just envious because I'm generous? That's pretty heavy. This story uh, draws a heavenly comparison. We know that the landowner is God. We as his children are the ones working the field. And it's very easy for us, as I started our whole uh, time this morning off with, it's easy for us to complain about what others are given. Sometimes we complain about the grace and the forgiveness others receive that maybe we haven't received ourselves. Whatever the case, it's easy for us to complain when we compare ourselves to other people. But with this story, you have to remember some things. The workers, the first ones, were told how much they would be given. There was no surprise to that. They even signed off on it. But then when these other people are given the same amount for working less, the workers feel ripped off. What's interesting about the other workers is that when the landowner approached them, he just simply said, I'm going to give you what I think is right. And they, instead of saying, well, we want to write down, we want an agreement, we want it written down, and so on, and demanding their rights, they just chose to trust the landowner and said, okay, sounds good. We're going to trust you that you're a good person. And they did it. And it was rewarded, unlike the original workers who didn't seem to trust who wanted a guarantee, and they got exactly what they should have expected. See, they wanted to trust that somehow what they did, the fact that they worked longer would earn them more perks with the landowner, that they would get more money because you've seen what we've done. Hey, if you're a good person, you're going to go back on your word with the agreement we had, and you're going you're to give us even more. Yet the other workers trusted they worked regardless. They just trusted the landowner. In this story, there's a lot of things we can get out of it, but I, I want us to focus on this part of this, that we learn about the generosity of God. 
God is generous. He's generous in his love. He's generous in his forgiveness, his mercy, and his grace. He's generous in what he has allowed you to have of physical possessions, of money, of positions of power and responsibility. He's given you gifts and experiences and personalities and uh, all these things that we sometimes just take for granted. It's just us being us, but these are gifts from God. And for those of us that are his followers, he's given them to us richly and generously. He did not have to, yet he chose to. And so it's easy for us to complain and to think about uh, how we've been ripped off because such and such a church, they barely even come. I've, I've only seen them at church once a month. And I come every week. Anytime we have something open, we are there every time. And what is this all about? God, come on, come on. Do you know who I am? Do you know my resume? It's easy for us to to fall into this trap instead of being grateful for the generosity that God has given you. Instead of a heart of ungratefulness, we should have a heart of gratefulness. God is generous. And what we can draw out of this whole story here is our big idea, which is that attitudes are greater than amounts. God is more concerned about your attitude and what he has given you than in the amount. The landowner didn't care about how much he gave. He just cared about the response. You see that at that end conversation with the original workers. He wanted the right attitude in people. God is concerned about your attitude when it comes to generosity. Let me, let me clarify a little bit about what I mean by that. Let me tell you what a person that does not have a generous heart looks like. A person that doesn't have a heart grounded in what generosity is really all about or an attitude of generosity is generous but does it for attention. They do it for attention. They want people to know how much they've done or how good a person they are or how much money they gave or how much time they served or what position they have serving. They use it as their publicity stunt. They use this as their PR for themselves. Hey, everybody, look at how great I am. Let me say this. As we're in the midst of Be Rich, and uh, sometimes we've had teams go on missions, trips, and we also have Night to Shine that we do in February, which is all these things have become great things for our church to come together, to rally for, and to go serve generously occasionally we get some attention in the community for what we do. Let me say this really fast. That's not our goal. Now, if we get attention for it, if people talk about, hey, did you hear that Hope Church did Night to Shine and what an awesome thing that was, or be rich and how generous they were. If people talk about it, fine. But that's not the end goal. That's not what we're about. We're just about, I don't know, being generous, because God is generous. He's been generous to us. Why would I not be generous to anyone else? This is not a publicity stunt for Hope Church. This is not a PR move that we're trying to earn cred with the community or whatever. This is just simply about having the heart of God and to be generous. But a person who doesn't have a generous heart or the right attitude of generosity is seeking all about me, 
Another thing that a person without a generous heart does is they do it for a reward. They think they can earn something with God. I've talked a lot about this. I mean, they think, hey, if I do this, God will obviously bless me for this, and that's really what I'm for. I can put it on that resume of all the great things I've done, God, so when things start going bad, I'll just pull it out, and you'll make everything go away. Another attitude of a person who isn't generous is that they do things generously for their own self-image. Anyone who serves generously or does generous acts because they struggle with a guilty conscience or maybe struggle with their own self-image, they think that they're a bad person, so they overcompensate by doing good things to try to make themselves feel better about themselves. This is not right. That's not the point of why we should be generous. And lastly, the, the one attitude uh, or part of not having a generous heart is a, a person who doesn't have a generous heart will do it in comparison to others. And I don't have to talk a whole lot about this. You've heard me say a lot about it already. We will compare our resume to other people's resume about all the great generous acts we've done, or we see how much we've given and try to find out what others have given so we can make sure we're, you know, it's like this life video game that we're trying to have the high score on this video game. This isn't a heart that truly gets the right attitude of generosity, but let me tell you what the right heart of generosity is grounded in, and it's three simple things. First, trusting in God's generosity. You trust in God's generosity that what He has given you, which is everything, you trust that He's given you exactly what you need, and He's given you more than you deserve. Ultimately, God's generosity, he will always give all of us more than we frankly deserve because he is a good God and he is just. So to have a generous heart, I have to trust in God's generosity and what he's given me, but I also have to be grateful. I have to be grateful and not complain about the fact of what I've been given. Oh, thanks a lot, God. This is great. I have to be content and grateful for what he has given. At the very least, he's given me salvation and forgiveness and mercy and hope and all of these things that come with being a Christian, but <laughs> I should be grateful that he's even given me gifts or anything I have that I can share and be generous with. And lastly, a generous heart or a right attitude of a generous heart is a love for other people. A love for other people. I want to be generous because God loves those I'm being generous to. It's easy to, for me to be generous towards people I love or people I like, not so much about people I don't know or people I don't like. But a right attitude of generosity requires me to love all people that I also know that they need me to be generous because I need them to be generous to me. This is the right attitude of generosity. And I hope that we have that heart of generosity because this week we have to think about how we can put generosity in action. God will always give us better than what we deserve. Why would I do anything less than that to everyone around me? Now, I just want to add this in real quick. Some would say, as you view, view this story or read this story, you're like, wow, God's not fair. You're right. He's not God is not fair. If the definition of fair 
is coming from me or from you. Let me tell you what God is. I don't understand his fairness, but I do know that God is holy, that he is just, that he is loving, and that he is generous. So even though it may not seem fair in my viewpoint, I have to understand he is bigger than I will ever understand fully, and I have to trust in that. So yeah, according to my definition, God probably isn't fair sometimes. According to yours, the same thing. But according to his definition, he's very, very fair because he's perfect and he understands. This week, I challenge you to love generously to love generously, to love people who are unlovable, to love that person that you can't stand being around, to love those people that you want nothing to do with, to love people that just need to feel love in this season right now. Check your attitude as you do it. Make sure you are not discriminatory because God is not discriminatory with his generosity. He doesn't discriminate against anyone. Don't you make that mistake. Be generous in your love and be generous in how you provide for other people. For some of you, I'm going to challenge you to be shockingly generous this week. I want you to bless those uh, who don't deserve it and frankly don't need it. I want you to go after that one that you sit there and think they deserve nothing and to love them generously, to buy their coffee uh, if you're at Dunkin' and in line. Buy it for the person behind you, whatever it is. Find a way to be shockingly, offensively, to even to yourself, generous to them. This past week, you didn't know this was happening, but we chose as a church, as the GLOW team, to be generous to some people that just needed to be loved on in this season. Because of your giving to GLOW, we were able to buy lunch for the teachers and the staff and the administrators at uh, East Hampton schools, uh, for, we did center school, the high school, the middle school, and elementary. We bought lunch for them. And in, in those lunches, we had a card in there that says, we know this is a tough season because you know the teachers and the administrators have a tough thing going on with COVID and figuring it out. Colchester Elementary this past week had to close their doors for two weeks because of COVID. This is not a great time to be a teacher. It is stressful. And we chose with something as simple as buying lunches for those teachers, administrators, and staff with cards that said, hey, we see you, this is hard, we get it, we, we honor you, and we want to thank you for what you're doing. It's not that hard to find people to love generously. Let's do that as a church this week, to find people who need love and to just pour it out on them because our God is generous to us, and let's be like him. Let's pray. Father, open our eyes, open our ears to opportunities to be generous this week. Show us who needs to be loved on, and Lord, show us how we can pour generosity out on them, maybe more than they even deserve. Lord, maybe they look different than us. Maybe they vote different than us. Maybe They're a person that we've had a long rift with. Whoever it is, show it to us, and may we give into your spirit, not into our spirit of unforgiveness or our spirit of bitterness. Help us to love generously this week, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.